Hi, this is Jim Lesser from BBDO San Francisco, and welcome to another episode of the Fog City Chronicles. Today's interview is part of a series called The Women Who Run BBDO. Female leadership is such an important topic in our industry right now, and at BBDO, I've been very lucky to work with uh, some of the most dynamic leaders in our industry who happen to be women who are running offices and groups of offices. And I thought that if we could uh, pull their collective knowledge together, it might help to inspire the uh, female leaders of tomorrow. Today's conversation is with Catherine Brown, aka Kbro to her friends. Um, I've known Catherine for most of her career, which has been largely at BBDO, and she'll talk about that a bit. Um, Catherine is a recently promoted managing director of BBDO New York. So it's a, a big new role for her. And I think Catherine is one of those people who's kind of wise beyond her years. And so I thought it would be really interesting to talk with her as kind of a rising star within the BBDO network. Um, and she has a lot of great insights on team building and kind of the transition from being a doer to being a leader. So without further ado, my conversation with Catherine. As a place just to start that I think um, everyone's always curious about because advertising is not the typical thing that mm-hmm. you, you know, grow up saying someday I want to be <laughs> like as a, as a kid. Men, after Mad Men, maybe before Mad Men. Yeah. What do you want to be when yeah. you grow up? So how did you get into advertising? Um, I have a very analog story where I had done kind of an internship in marketing. Then I had done one in PR in the city between my junior and senior year. And when I graduated, it was I was 01, and everyone before me had had like four or five offers if they wanted to go into communications, and then there was nothing, right? And I had an apartment in the city with some friends. I walked up and down kind of Park Avenue South. I got a job as a hostess just to kind of have something under my belt, some money coming in. I'd used a lot of my savings to get this apartment. And, um, you know, I was on the phone. I had a friend in Florida, and I happened to, this is when you still called people on their landlines. And I called him one day, and his mom picked up. And she said, uh, how are you doing? How's New York? Oh my gosh, it's so exciting. And I said, I said you know, it's not, it's not going so great. It's not really um, what I thought it would be. It's, it's hard and I'm doing this hostessing job and I really want to get into communications and I have these internships and it's supposed to set me up for this thing. And anyway, and she said, well, you know, your first job doesn't have to be your forever job. And then she kind of said, you know, have you looked in the New York Times? And I said, the New York Times? Like, what are you... We're talking about the New York Times, you know, but it was before all of the online networking. It was before any of that, right? You had your paper resume, you showed up, and that was your thing. And I did. And so I opened up the New York Times classifieds, and I kind of paged through, and there were a couple of little nuggets about advertising jobs. And I thought, okay, well, I've exhausted some of my connections through Colgate, where I went to college. I exhausted some of the other things through people I met at job fairs. And I was like, let me try it. And I went. And what I now know was like a recruitment, like I was a recruiter, but Mm. I didn't understand why I was at a place that wasn't an agency. Um, And they sent me on this job opportunity and I went and I got the job as this account coordinator. And it was, um, it was, it was my first job. It was not going to be my forever job, but I was actually, I worked for a guy. They said account coordinator. I think it was really administrative assistant, but no one told me. Mm. And so he had just gotten his first computer. He was probably 70 years old. And he wrote these long-winded, on loose-leaf paper, memos. It was always a memo going out about something, and I had to type them up. And so it was interesting, though. It was like, you like, it was like 
I learned so much because I would read about these things that were happening and I'd be typing them up. People started asking me for information because I knew everything he was doing. So that was kind of how I got into that first job. And then from there, as far as getting to BBDO, actually, this is why like that advice was so great, was I met there someone who ended up leaving to come here. And she recommended me and kind of passed my resume in. Um, and then two people who I worked for at this agency had come from BBDO, and they knew a woman by the name of Nicole Merrick who was leading the visa account. And when I got the interview with her, they kind of said, oh, you know, she's good people. And so I ended up here at BBDO. <laughs> from the New York Times. And the rest is it. history. Yeah. I think I actually got my first job from um, Adweek, mm-hmm. from the, the classifieds in Adweek. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Like, it worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stick with it. Um, that's awesome. So, um, when um, when you first came in to BBDO, was there anything that hit you right off the bat as, oh my gosh, this is a different, a completely different experience? It's a, you know, you know something that that was like if we were doing advertising before, then this is something else, or what I was doing before. Was, you know, prepping me for the big leagues? Yeah, I think being in a smaller agency, I think the agency was about 100 people that where I was. So it wasn't tiny, tiny, but it definitely wasn't the magnitude of BBDO. And I guess when I got here, it felt like, you know, you're playing for the Yankees is how it felt, right? You you were now in a place, so when you walk, when I'd walk from the hall, we sat on the fifth floor, I think at the time, you'd walk past the Pepsi team, right? And this was in the age of, you know, that was just, oh my gosh, the Britney Spears work, the Michael Jackson, I mean, it was just a folklore. And you kind of walked your office and I worked on Visa and you just got the sense that it was like a machine, right? It was like, this, this is the big leagues and this is kind of how it's going to work. And it did make kind of what I've been doing feel a little bit smaller. Now, the benefit to the small was that because I was on the small team, I actually worked on McCarty, was the brand I worked on, I was included in so much that I saw so much that I was a little ambidextrous mm-hmm. when I got here. I kind of wasn't in a specific framework. And I was, mm-hmm. and I remember what everyone told me when I left was just, remember, when you go there, it's not like here. Creatives are really, really mean. And you basically ha- can't talk to them and you're going to be a junior account person. You really need to like, you know, keep your distance. Or- and so Tim Bain, who's an ECD here now, who's one of my very, very close friends, remembers me because we worked together when I first started here as an AAE. And uh, he said, you didn't, you didn't talk. <laughs> he said, you literally would show up in rooms and you were like wallpaper. You were just against the wall kind of going. And uh, he always thought that was very strange. And now knowing Tim, I mean, you just go like, that's not the way creatives were, right? right. And so that perception, I think, hmm. gets, you know, kind of a bad rap and then it kind of self-fulfills itself. And so as kind of things evolved at BBD over the years, what you've seen is, Everyone jokes like there's no asshole policy, right? But I think you really see a world in which some of my best relationships at BBDO have been with creative leaders. Um, yeah. Not just creative leaders, creative individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and this place definitely felt like with the mantra, the work, the work, the work, that was truly kind of what everyone rallied around. And it was right. it was something to kind of, it was infectious. Right. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something there about being plastered to the back wall and <laughs> nobody you know, can see the motion and, that I did. <laughs> um, but I think one of the one of the topics that has been really interesting to, to talk about as people have gone through their careers is how do you find your voice? Mm-hmm. And so your description of that room mm-hmm. and feeling like you're, you mm-hmm. know, just trying to not make any sudden moves so mm-hmm. nobody notices. <laughs> How do you go from that to being now MD of the New York office? Yeah, I think um, I think it takes. I mean, there's introspection and there's kind of deciding that you want to kind of have a voice. I think that's really important, and not to get all philosophical, but that is something that's really important. Like, what do you want to do, and how do you want to show up? But I also think, for me specifically, I think I've been very lucky, or I've found people, and I think they've 
expected that from me and encouraged me and given me permission in that way as well. So when I think about some of the people I've worked for, um, they thought, they believed in me, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And they thought I had interesting ideas and I found a good rapport with people and then they would kind of both sponsor you in terms of talking about you with other people and kind of saying, oh, this is this is someone who has something interesting to say and that kind of primes the stage um, for you to be able to kind of do that. Um, but when I think about myself as kind of a leader now, I still see people, male or female, right, kind of not speaking up. You know, the idea of women always take the seat that's against the wall instead of at the table, this kind of thing when you're when you're a junior. I just try to make a point to pay it forward and just go, there's six MC seats at the table. Why are you back here? Or, you know, so-and-so just had a great idea. Did you know when I'm talking to a senior creative leader? So mm-hmm. I think that's um, that's what it really is, is, is finding those people that allow you to kind of have that voice and then knowing that you want to have it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to your point that it doesn't matter male or female. The the feeling when you're young in this mm-hmm. industry is, I still don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, I'm trying to listen yeah. and absorb as much as I can, and then feeling your way out onto the edge of the diving board. Yeah, and knowing like, okay, it's a big jump, but now I'm going to start contributing ideas. Yeah. Is it's yeah. it's a leap. It just takes one, right? It's like you you say something that's really interesting that people find either useful or helpful or provocative and then people want to hear more from you right and so you have to start you have to start somewhere um and i think that's that's really important and right and nobody nobody says no to an idea they think could really kind of help sell something could really Mm -hmm. make an idea better and improve and i think when you look at the how the world has changed i think when i started the categories of TV, radio, print had been, we've been doing that for a long time, right? I think now when you look at, so we kind of knew things that worked, things that didn't work. Now when you kind of look at it, the evolution has been so fast. Right. Post-2007, let's call right. it, right? That actually you want the people that are youngest and don't know what they're doing to kind of poke the bear a bit and go, mm-hmm. well, actually, that's not the way I'd engage with that content on this thing because that's not the way it really plays out. And so I think the more and more actually finding those young people that you want to hear from, then you push them to kind of find their voice is even more important than even was when I started. Mm -hmm. Um, I love what you said about it takes just one thing that you say that somebody says, Ooh, Mm -hmm. we hadn't thought of that. And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you get a little confidence. So now as a leader, are there any tricks that you have to pull that out of people who might be timid? Because Especially, you know, in our company, one of our people values is radiates, doesn't drain. Mm-hmm. And that can be viewed as someone who's positive energy versus negative. But it can also be viewed as extroverted versus introverted mm-hmm. sometimes. And I think we have to always be cautious that introverts don't get lost. Yeah. Um, so do you have any, I don't know, do you have any tips for how to pull that out from people mm-hmm. in the room? Or tips for young people who might be in the room who might be feeling like, I just don't know if I should yeah. speak up. I try to find instances to, um, so first of all, you have to be aware, right? So as a leader, if you're looking around the room and you notice that in every, let's call it just status meeting, let's go base level status meeting, your team is in there and the same two people are talking and the same people are not. Um, I just make a point to, in a natural way, if it's a topic I know they're, I know that they know, if that makes sense. You don't, you're not trying to, get somebody yeah you're not trying to call somebody out or try to see if they know it's not a test Um, but something where you think someone could have something to add they're nodding vehemently as their supervisor says something Mm -hmm. you want to go oh what do you think and do you think that's a good you know you try and phrase it in a way that feels very safe um as a first foray and then you kind of get a sense from that first answer of like okay where does this person sit in terms of 
knowledge base on this thing or are they comfortable or not and if you do that consistently enough and the way you respond being crucial no matter Mm -hmm. what they say I think we'll start to draw that out Um, but what I also do is actually meet with the folks that might be my direct reports and I say listen we're gonna go into this meeting and I haven't heard from so-and-so in a while I know that you know (laughs) so when I ask this and I'll, I'll point my whole body language at the person I actually want to answer junior senior because that gives it a body cue of where it goes and I'll actually turn my back sometimes to like the person who's my SVP director right I'll I'll turn my back because so that they know it's really important to hear from this person again not to catch them them on something they don't know but to really make it okay Mm. and to hear from different stakeholders I think on the team Um, and I do the same thing whether I'm dealing with a strategy team whether I'm dealing with creative folks whether I'm dealing with project managers it doesn't matter you, you know that everyone knows the subject matter more than you a lot of times and hearing different points of view I think are really important so that those are a couple of things that, that I do to kind of just make sure that you're starting to tease that out one of the things um, you touched on is creating a safe space mm-hmm. creating safety for people to be confident about their ideas and there have been a lot of um, recent studies that show that creative workplaces mm-hmm. need safety as a fundamental. Absolutely. Do you think that that is something that all good leaders do instinctively? Do you think that's something that female leaders mm-hmm. might have a little bit of, a little bit more empathy mm-hmm. towards? Yeah, I mean, I, it's when I think about the qualities of the people I believe to be most successful in industry, I actually look at empathy as like a key characteristic, right? So if you think about us as a people business, because that's really what we are, right? Our IP is essentially people's ideas. And um, how do you curate that in an organization? And then also, I'd argue, how do you build relationships externally to kind of bring that work to life? So I think it plays out in both spaces. Um, But that idea of um, good leaders having it, I think, is true. And I think... I mean, two of my kind of bosses over time have been men that do this very naturally. Um, But I think, I guess women would have maybe a touch more of that kind of come more naturally. But I think the best leaders, they're not necessarily immediately good at it, but they care about it. And so if you care about it, you're going to want to work at it, even if you know there are times when you're shit at it, right? So I think that's the the difference in those good leaders. The self-awareness. Yeah, the self-awareness. I know that there are moments where I'm probably not my best version of self and kind of super understanding of all these other things going on in the world because there might be something we're just railing against with a deadline. Oh my goodness, someone's called us and we have to act. Um, My hope is that either after that type of moment, you circle back with someone, you are appreciative of the work they've put in, you acknowledge that it was stressful, that you ask them if they have any, you know, you kind of bring it back full circle. Um, And then the best instances are we're able to do it kind of on the front end um, and able to really kind of you know, encourage that kind of idea of honesty, which gets overused, but safe space. And right. I think the word that now is kind of overused is this idea of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about the three people I've worked for in the last 15 plus years, all of them allowed me to show up as your whole self, which again is overused right now, but there are moments that I cried. There are moments that I was frustrated. There are moments that I, you know, defensive, you know, whoever it may be, and all of them kind of acknowledged that maybe that wasn't the right thing to do, but they didn't kind of kind of put me to the side because of it, right? And so that idea of empathy, vulnerability, kind of allowing people to kind of have 
moments of breakdown or moments of weakness. When someone does that and you still kind of stand by them, I think that starts to really build a level of, of trust that um, is very hard to break. Mm. Um, um, so I'm glad you brought up the, the that career path mm-hmm. question because you're recently promoted oh. to managing director, which is very exciting. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, looking back, are there things that you think that um, are the are the critical traits that you displayed along the way that kept your progression moving mm-hmm. to all the way to, to MD of the New York office? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you have to look back and kind of you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I don't know that I consciously knew I was doing things along the way. I think a lot of people would say that, right? But if I look back on some of the things that worked for me, I think you have the baseline things that are needed, right? So I was really buttoned up, detail-oriented, those kind of things. I, I That gave me immense satisfaction to kind of really be organized. I think the flip side to that is in this business where everything's always changing, that was also hard, right? Because you kind of do something you want it to be done and move on to the next, and then it gets upended by something that's happening, right? So that's always been kind of a, a, pro, a pro and an Achilles for me at the same time, I think, in this business. Um, but... Well, what's that thing in... in uh... In the shadow of our strengths yeah. are our challenges. <laughs> exactly. Right? It's like the flip side of all of your strengths are your biggest weaknesses. Right, it's just right. like, oh my goodness. Um, but I think, you know, it's funny. I, I recently kind of met with a coach and kind of, you know, she was talking to me about some things and she did a bit of an audit of, of people that work with me. And it was really hard to, to kind of hear what came back. Not because it was bad, just it's hard to hear people talking about you. It's a very strange kind of surreal thing. And there were things that came back, which I wouldn't have naturally answered this question like, but it came back, which was this idea of, um, one of the, one of the things I did well, there were a lot of things that I have improvement errors, um, was just this idea of, you know, I see around corners. So this idea of I'm constantly thinking of kind of three or four steps ahead. Mm-hmm. And this goes for things like, um, travel arrangements at times, which is very top of mind right now because we're all going down to Dallas for something with the team. And I just want to make sure that it's like, are people in the right places? We're going for a CEO meeting. Is everyone where they need to be? So that's kind of that stuff. Mm -hmm. All the way to, we're doing fee negotiations right now, right? And kind of anticipating, we need this. This is the scope. How does this work out? But if we position it this way and it comes back, you know, how does that impact us as a team? And so it's, it's everything from micro to macro, but that's the way my brain works, which I know from some folks that have worked with me who find it highly frustrating because we're going to meetings and I'm going, but this or this or this or this, you're constantly kind of um, looking at those permutations. But I think in general, if I had to pick one thing that I think I, I now know people have said that I do well, I think that's what it is. So it's, is it, is it the same thing as healthy paranoia, or do you think it's I healthy, think healthy paranoia, paranoia plays on into it. Yeah, I think David would say I'm a, what is it, a crazy lunatic psycho. I think it might, <laughs> might, be, might be the way he talks about it. But then what's funny is, you know, I, I was working on a business, and I'd come off of it, you know, and he kind of pulled me aside. He's like, I don't know, maybe maybe we need, like, crazy lunatic psycho. Like, I don't know, you know, because it's funny. It's like, it is kind of, it can be at times, and he makes fun of me for it, but I think when you know someone's thinking that way, it allows other people to kind of free up and mm-hmm. kind of think differently. And so when I think about the best, most successful times I've had in my career, they've been with teams where everyone has a bit of a different role and where we can pull these different levers at different times. Um, the closest example being strategy and creative partners of mine, um, but also leadership. So uh, in terms of traits and skills that people can develop, um, is there anything that, that you think as you look back and you're maybe a couple of years into your your career as opposed to where you are now 
are there things you wish you knew that if you just could flip a switch and have known if you just did this it would have instantly upped your game is mm-hmm. there anything that comes to mind that um, you know obviously you talked about your incredible orientation around details mm-hmm. and, and thinking three <laughs> steps ahead but is there anything else that I don't know that, that comes to mind so I think I guess I would answer two is one is not sexy at all which is I wish I read more about my client's business right I and I think that's I've noticed now, I think younger people, more junior people in business are doing more of that. But when I think about the idea of, you know, I was working on FedEx and I had, um, I think it was an AE or an AS, I can't remember, who was kind of listening to the earnings calls and then kind of recapping it for the broader team. To kind of, that's knowledge that you just get nuggets, you get texture, you just start to have an understanding of what's going on in your client's business. And then what it does is it starts to help you understand, why is my client acting this way? What's happening? Oh, they're having layoffs. They're under financial pressure. That kind of, you know, makes it a little bit more understandable why they're balking at this production number, right? Like they're under pressure internally because they are going to look like they're being frivolous in a climate. What's like? These are the things that actually start to really help you develop a a 360 understanding of not just the world we live in, where we're moving through timelines and we're making ads and we're partnering with strategy, but it's what are they dealing with and what's going on? So I think the idea Mm -hmm. of investing more of my time and kind of understanding some of their business um, in a different way, I think I would have liked to have done or had someone encourage me to do or at least help me understand the ways I could do that. Um, It doesn't have to all be earnings calls, which are quite dry. It could just be press. Um, And a lot of that's gotten easier now because Mm -hmm. you can get, you know, updates in your inbox and you can track your clients and you can just get these hits of kind of what's happening. And that's been really helpful. Um, So that's one piece. The other piece would be, um, I guess you kind of pour your heart good people I think pour your heart and soul into it you really care um and kind of the permission to just go well I guess we'll swim a different direction now you know that that idea of you just want to be right or you want to solve it or those kind of things um it could be debilitating at a junior level when something then just quickly changed course um and that's where like bounces back right one of the values I think that's so huge and the people you find that can do that I always think are going to be successful in this industry um and I really had to work at that one Mm because I really felt like well gosh you know we worked so hard on this and we did this and we did that we did everything right in quotes right and it still kind of flipped on its head and now I just expect that to be the case all the time right Right. there's no world in which you ever think you're going to start here and end here you just know right um but those kind of two pieces like one's kind of dry but the other one is a little bit more interesting of kind of how you can start to to reshape your thinking um to be able to bounce back faster um those are both great tips i mean becoming a business expert on your client's business is fundamental and um and as you said you know these things are timeless right i mean when you talk about what when can junior team members contribute and how do they contribute and find their voice Mm -hmm. that's an easy i mean so many people in leadership roles aren't able sometimes to have the time to read all the articles, to do all the things. That's a way you can start to become a resource for folks to come and ask questions or contribute something. Well, actually, you know, did you know we're supporting this thing for FedEx Ground? But I was listening to the thing, and they're actually saying, like, it may not affect the script, but it may help shape the way that you set up that idea, right? It may help, you know, anyway. Right. Just no, that, that <laughs> that's... Seems very smart. Um, okay, so I just want to ask you about. Uh, I think a lot of times we all learn from crises and from from roads taken that we sometimes wish we hadn't taken. And I'm wondering when you look back um, across, you know, your experiences, 
is there are there good do you have any examples of things where things might have been a total disaster <laughs> had it not been that you learned something from it mm-hmm. you know or um or even just a situation in your career where you said you know i i chose this path and i thought it was going you know it was going to be the right one and maybe it wasn't yeah um, so when I was at PBO years ago, I was probably still on visa, so I would have been like an AEAE. I got a call to from someone to go to JWT. And I had gotten in my head, as a lot of junior account people do, I find, I find this now when people either leave or they come and they, they want to do something more, they always talk about, I want to be more involved with strategy, right? That's where everyone's head seems to go, that that's how you really get smart and that's how you really start to, to know what's going on. So I'm going to get tighter with strategy and if I'm on an account that's executing, I must not be strategic and how do I find that space? And so I was going to be working very closely on a small team with the strategy and kind of just running that. And I came in, there's a guy, Paul Danusius, who used to work here. And I went into his office and I resigned and I said, I'm Paul, I'm leaving. I resigned. And he just kind of sat back in his chair and he looked at me and said, you sure about that? That's it. Took all my energy to go in in the first place, let alone now he's asking me if I'm actually sure. So I just, well, I said, well, what do you mean? You know, is this very funny kind of, could, could be in some sort of, you know, movie or something. It was just very funny exchange. And he said, well, why don't you um, go back to your desk and, and you sleep on it and then you come back tomorrow. You can tell me if you're really, and I said, oh my God, it literally took all my energy to come this first time. So I go back and uh, he says, are you interested in the account or whatever? And I said, well, I don't know. And because why are you leaving? Is it money? Is it this? Is that? So I went back and I said, well, yes, they're going to be giving me, you know, Whatever it was at the time, you know, not a lot, but at the time a lot, right, of money more. And I said, and he said, well, all right, I resigned again the second day. And he asked me again, well, if I match this and I match that, and I, I said, oh, oh, okay. And I went back to my office again, and then I came back the next day, and I said, I'm going to stay. He said, thank God you came to the right decision. Like, it was just this moment of, like, him letting me work out this kind of journey of this whole thing and just and having again you talk about like leaders you've worked with um he kind of saw something in me and he kind of teased that out and made me find my voice on what I really want to do and what's important to me and why I was leaving and helped me kind of understand that so I do think very much um what I like and what I care about is the work um and I think here is probably the place for me I've stayed at BBDO a very long time and so I think that decision of staying in that moment albeit a very long time ago um could have taken me on a very different path. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, as far as, uh, you know, things that have gone awry, I mean, this one actually ended up working out okay and the rest is history, but we did have a situation when we were launching the Snickers campaign where um, we were um, trying to shoot, I'm gonna tell the story most succinctly as possible. We got the business, we were briefed on having to develop a new campaign and then we got the news that it was for Super Bowl. Now keep in mind, I think we were briefed in November. Super Bowl is obviously February. And it was kind of that moment of, okay. And so we developed these ideas. The ideas were great. We had several ideas that were very good. I felt really good about the work. And I, Kirsten Flanagan, David Lubars go down to Washington DC to kind of Talk to, the, talk to Paul Michaels, who's the worldwide CEO at the time, about what this work is. And I tell her before she leaves, I say, whatever you do, because one had celebrities, as everyone knows, and one did not, just keep the other one alive because we just don't know if we can make the one with celebrities, whatever you do. So she calls me from a taxi with David after the meeting. I think they maybe gone to dinner, maybe a few cocktails had been consumed. And she goes, we're doing, you're not you and you're hungry. 
we'll need to figure it out. Like, that was all I got. And I'm literally just going, okay. You know, it's just this moment of like, oh my gosh. You know, it was the best decision, obviously, we ever made. But then we had to go into execution mode. Like, how are we going to make this? And how are we going to get Aretha Franklin? Really and how are, we, how are we going to do this? And so we, Aretha Franklin, which I now know all about, you know, but didn't know then. She doesn't fly. She is very particular. Um, she was cast perfectly for the diva role. And apparently, um, you know, wasn't... I, I don't know, had very different, who she wanted to work with and how she wanted to work with them and all those things were, were complicated. And she had a guy who was working for her at the time. Her manager had been a manager for, I want to say like 50 years, a really long time. And then we had PAs, production assistants from the production company, kind of like finding out where in Detroit she lived to see if we could get someone into the gated community to, to drop it at her door. I mean, because we were sending FedExes, they were saying they weren't received. I mean, it was crazy. So we had a woman that we had finally gotten, I think, no, we had not. We had not gotten a signed contract. We were in Detroit because she didn't fly with an entire crew, an entire cast. We had two, we had backup celebrities for backup celebrities. And we had no idea if she was going to sign the contract. And the night before, she had not signed the contract. And I'm there with my client at the time who I was very close with. And we had a glass of wine and we said, we don't know. We don't know if she's coming tomorrow. We don't know <laughs> where she'll be. John Osborne, who was the CEO of BBDO New York at the time, said, well, I worked with her on Pepsi, and she, she's, you know, she's often very late, and we yeah. don't know, and it's a little... And so in walks the head of commercial, which for Mars is essentially procurement and everything, right? And, and he had just come because he said he wanted to learn more about advertising. And we were, pretty, <laughs> we were pretty sure that he was there to protect his multi-million dollar investment, and he was not actually there to learn about what a grip is or how the right. lights get set up and all that other stuff. And so the night before, we said to ourselves, this could go, this could be our, our career downfall if, if she doesn't come and we don't whatever. And sure enough, she showed up early. And um, the rest is history. She got in the backseat of the car in a full-length, you know, gown. formal gown mm. that we had special made for her and uh, signed, the, signed the contract while she was sitting in the backseat. And then we rolled camera. <laughs> so, so that's one of those moments where you just go, that could have gone horribly wrong. But I think the learning experience, which I think was your original question, was just um, client partnership and the... Um, ability to be in it together and the leaps of faith that Mars took with the agency to kind of bring what is now one of the most iconic campaigns in the world to life could not have happened had we not had that, right? And so I think that when we go back to all the things we've we've touched on, yeah. whether it's understanding your clients, what they're most all yeah. that stuff feeds into kind of something like that and then hope and then landing with a success. To mention, so. um, <laughs> not to mention testing your your one vulnerability, yeah. which is not being right, able to right. be I'm organized and know right. every detail I don't is have the signed contract, <laughs> it's the night before. I don't even know who I am anymore. I'm just like I don't like what is going on. That's a great story. <laughs> um, okay, so I would love to talk a little bit about building teams because one of the things that as you go from being a doer to being a leader, life changes and, mm -hmm. and yeah. you know, your your points of emphasis change and the way you think about meetings changes, the way, you know, so much changes in your day to day. So I want to just talk a little bit about your transition to leadership and how you think about fundamentals of putting a team together, mm -hmm. um, how you interview, has that changed mm -hmm. over time? Um, and then you know, how you think about creating an environment where people can thrive mm -hmm. that is now your, your environment to create. Yeah. Um, so I think what's interesting in advertising and it's changed a little bit as we flattened kind of organ flattened teams and everything as we get more kind of lean, but I think you become a supervisor quite young, right? So when I became an AE, I had an AAE that technically reported to me and then I was a manager at, you know, whatever age. And then that person's, you know, multiple people reporting to you. And I think what I learned very quickly was that just because I did it my way, 
um, didn't mean that everyone was just going to do it my way, either just because I asked for that or, you know, people's brains work differently than my brain. And I had some very early kind of moments of just, why is that person doing that? You know, what's going on? I said this thing. And, I, and what you start to realize, and actually went BBDO had at the time, I was an account manager, I think. They had a course I went through, not, not just me, but a bunch of people who were in, in those roles to talk about leadership and what it means. And there were things in that course, don't laugh, that are still things I think about now. And there's a guy who worked for me at the time who still works here, who's senior, who um, I remember our styles were so different, but I knew he was really good. Like I knew, and so this idea of figuring out what the people who work with you and for you think and how they act and what what excites them, what gets them motivated um, is a huge part of successful kind of team collaboration and, and bringing great work to life. So that's something that's really stuck with me is your way is not the only way. And if you think it is, you're going to only hire people or work with people that are like you, and then you're not going to have diversity of thought, which you start to realize when you partner up um, with strategists as account people, you go, oh gosh, like that person thinks really differently than me. Let's stick together because that's really going to have a better outcome. The same holds true for your the teams that work with you. Um, so when it comes to how I interview now versus how I used to interview before, I really believe a lot more in uh, chemistry now and diversity of thought versus finding people who are going to kind of check boxes and, right. and tick things off. Finding the junior yeah, you. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that that's right because I already, I'm already on the team, right. right? So I don't really probably need another me. I probably need someone who thinks a little differently than me to complement my skill set to allow us to then have something that works differently. And so when I look at the teams now, and this includes everything from all kinds of diversity of thought. So people used to put, obviously, you know, I was just talking about this with somebody the other day, how important is where you graduated from college in our industry? I know some industries, law and other things, you know, there's, there's some things that happen there, but here I just look at it and I go, gosh, you know, there are a couple people who work with me who had no background at all. And then there are people who have gone to Syracuse or BU and, and done kind of more traditional yeah, kind of comms programs. Program, yeah. Right, right. And I don't, I can't say, that there's necessarily like, oh, the people that went to Syracuse and BU, they had to far as it. You start young, you find people that really want to do stuff, that care, that want to kind of work hard and, and make great work. Mm -hmm. And I think you find that if you cast for that, mm -hmm. um, the, rest will, the rest will play out. And so that's kind of how I, I do it a little differently. And then we just try to make sure through the interview process, someone's asking some of the technical questions so that if there's a huge gap in something, especially at the more senior levels, that, that you find that. But otherwise... You know, we talk about this on AT&T a lot, right? The idea of ambidextrous thinking, the idea of finding synergy between skill sets and team members, making the model work versus pure skill mm -hmm. as the only kind of... What do you mean by ambidextrous thinking? Ambidextrous thinking, um, it can mean a lot of different things, but it means you are you don't fit into any one box. So on AT&T, the way we structure the teams are, you know, I technically sit at BBDO, but I'm the integrated lead across corporate and business. And so there are people in our Dallas office that might be media, but I technically look after the business and they roll up into me. Um, when it comes to Ralph, let's say, who works for Hearts and he leads it for Omnicom, um, you know, I work for BBDO, we roll up to him. So there's that, which is just agency type stuff. But then there's also the people going into these individual roles. So when I think about Tom Hahn, who's my planning partner in AT&T, his background and his skill set, the way he processes information is fundamentally um, different than maybe growing up 
and traditional planning, you know, in for some folks. So he literally thinks creatively, he thinks media, he's talking to Slavi about Omni. I mean, it's just across the board. Um, and I think that that skill, that ability to flex between not just disciplines, but open-mindedness to all of these things that are out there, I think is who we're trying to hire and who we're trying to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we can't find one person that can do it all, because I think that's hard, you want to build the teams with those complementary skill sets so that in theory, through osmosis, right, by working together, you start to rub off on each other. Mm-hmm. And then those folks grow to, to be leaders that just have that naturally. Right. Um, when I think about the team that works with me, the junior team, I, I go, gosh, like what they're learning in terms of that cross-pollination of business and how it all comes together, it's, it's really just, it's going to set them up for, I think, I hope, to be, you know, ahead of the marketplace in terms of what they have to offer. Right. Yeah. Um, when you were talking about team building and interviewing, you know, you mentioned kind of finding young people who are passionate. Mm-hmm. How do you suss out whether someone's passionate about this? Yeah. About our business? Yeah. Do you have any, you know, tips or tricks for how you, how you kind of figure that out without, you know, them realizing it? Yeah. I mean, I think depending on what level they are, you have different tricks, right? So I think with a junior person... There's like an energy, and it doesn't have doesn't mean um, it doesn't mean you have to be extroverted to the point we earlier talked about. I think there's just something, you know, you do informational interviews with people, and they're the people that are just like, get me in there, right? This is just I just I got to get in there, and I think that will exude from people um, at mm-hmm. the junior levels when mm-hmm. they're not going to have a lot of things to talk about with you and their previous role, and whatever. Once you start to get to the senior levels, I think when you ask people about challenges they've faced and you listen to the way they answer, I find that very telling. So if you have someone that comes in and starts to go on and on about a difficult client or um, trying to um, level with you about almost eye roll type things. Right. About their previous place. Yeah, like, oh, well, they were just this and I I need to come to BBDO because really, I mean, it's all about the... That starts to be a red flag in terms of your the way you you're setting the way you're showing up yourself which is just one thing and the way you, we want team members to show up here and so i think when people start to come that way in interviews and they think they're kind of you know leveling with you and kind of having that insider moment i don't know that i, I that doesn't work for me mm-hmm. i think that that says that when yeah. times get tough you know this is going to be eye rolls then this, too uh, yeah and i think in the toughest times the best leaders go okay Days change. What are right. we going to do? Right. Um, um, yeah, I think you're you're right on that. That I, whenever I've been in an interview where someone badmouths the place mm-hmm, they're at, mm-hmm. I always think that's a, a sure sign that yeah. they're going to just come and badmouth the yeah. next place they're at, which yeah. would be your. No place yours. is perfect, right? There's pros and cons to every agency, every client, everything, yeah. and it's yeah. about personal fit. Yeah. Um, so. And it's usually the sign of someone who's a finger pointer. Yeah. You know. That's right. Yeah. It's not me. It's right. Them, right. And it's like Ooh. it's the system Ooh. or it's the client. Uh, yeah. That's not yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, that's not good. Um, I want to ask you just about some personal stuff, like you're a mom mm-hmm. of two, <laughs> and um, this is obviously a very demanding career as uh, you know I don't know where the non-demanding careers are <laughs> these know. days so true. but um, what what have you learned along the way of figuring out how to integrate your you know being a, a mom which I'm sure is m- more than a full-time job mm-hmm. and being you know a senior leader of yeah. an account which is more than a full-time job how do you how do you what have you figured out along the way about how to do that well 
Yeah. I, um, well, at first what I would say is that you just kind of have to forgive yourself along the way because you just, there is no, there's no answer that's perfect. I remember I've seen different client leads that I think have it all figured out and talking on panels and things and you just go, oh my gosh. And then you end up, you know, getting a drink with them and they go, well, yeah, but it's also this and it's really hard. Right. Um, and so it always looks easy from it the looks, outside. Yeah, it does. And it's funny because... it looks because, perfect from the outside. Yeah. And I actually had an experience with that where I, I was working on FedEx and GE at the same time and I'd come back from maternity leave and a young woman who worked for me at the time uh, resigned and she was she was going to go to another agency. And I was disappointed, but I understood and she wanted to experience different things. It's fine. And I said, well, if you ever, you know, if you ever want to come back, you can. You're always welcome here. And guess what? She did. She's back here now. Um, but she... Uh, she left me, she, they, people still write these beautiful handwritten notes when they leave, and I think it's such a special thing, and she wrote me this note, and I'll never forget it, because at that time in my life, when I was working on both of those businesses, um, and I was a new mom, so I didn't have my support system necessarily as sorted maybe as I do now, and I wasn't as confident, things like that, I wasn't as confident moving things around, the pieces, she wrote me this note that basically said, your ability to kind of do what I see you doing and be this mom and has given me the confidence that I can do whatever. And I remember thinking to myself, gosh, I feel so not together. <laughs> and here is this person who works with me. She sees me a lot. She's in the office. You right. know, she sees that my socks are mismatched and that my, you know, my hair is in a bottle. And yet she's looking at me going like, if she can do it, like there's a chance I can do it. And I'm going, well, isn't that great? Right. And so, um, I don't have it all figured out. I've had in the month of November and December, we were just, someone was just we were just laughing about how it seems all of a sudden everyone's childcare on the AT&T leadership team is going up in flames and things are going. And we're all trying to divide and conquer, but um, I think the only way I'm able to do it truly is I've had two bosses during the time that I've had children who have been extremely supportive of um, flexibility when I need it. Um, they also expect you to make the right choices um, at times when business needs to be a priority. Um, but I also have had amazing teams, right? I'm not even talking about the people that work technically for me. I'm talking about my peer set. And so when I think about my planning partners, my creative partners, my extensions now on 18, let's say from a media set, like, these are people where we are literally all trying to balance things, kids or otherwise, and we are all pitching in, in the support of the other person. Mm. So an example I'll give that didn't have to do with my kids was I was in Detroit recently for a funeral. My husband's grandmother passed away and we're trying to have a meeting with a client and I was there and I couldn't get in touch with someone. And I called Tom Hahn and I just said, could you do me a favor? Can you walk downstairs, try to find Crystal? We got it. And he was like, sure, no problem. Right. Because he was, it wasn't his job. It was an account job. But I needed him to do it, right? and he just—we just do that for each other. And I think you can't take that for granted enough in terms of how that support system is helping not just working moms but working dads. Right. So everyone on the leadership team now is a parent of young children, yeah. and the men are equally involved and in, as the women. Mm-hmm. And so we're all trying to find our way, and I think that's been really helpful in, in allowing me to to kind of do that. But it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. When um, when when I sat down with Kirsten to talk about this same stuff, um, one of the things she talked about was the fact that we're in the relationship business and that people always say that, but they usually mean your external relationships. Mm-hmm. But in fact, so much of it is your internal relationships. Yep. And as you point out, like yep. that that becomes a reason that you stay at an mm-hmm. agency for as long as you do. Yeah, because you have this network of Absolutely. support that yeah. that gives you the ability to to be, you know even more 
to the people you love at home yeah. and to your coworkers. Imagine, you know, I've been I've worked here a long time, and people leave BBDO. They always say, "What do you miss the most?" It's the people. Everybody always says that, right? Um, but I think sometimes, and I made kind of very strategic decisions of like, you know, coming back, you know, to a place where I had established relationships made that re-entry um, easier, but it also meant that if something was slipping or I, felt, I could talk about it with someone, but I could also, I was given the benefit of the doubt of the work I'd done to date, right? I was given, you know, so we know that this is how she is, and so if something's going on and we need to flex for that, you know, we support that. Um, but the the flip side to that is, this is an agent, this is a transient business, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have a lot of young women that come into this business, and it can't be. You've been somewhere for 15 years in order to have that same kind of experience. And so I think the agency and, and Omnicom by extension have made some really good changes around things like the maternity policy and things like that that have happened over the last kind of even recently six months, I think, that are making a difference um, in supporting those folks that either may not have been here as long or, you know, it used to be that depending on what point in the year you had a baby, depending on how much vacation you accrued to be able to kind of take. And I think a lot of that's changed, which was kind of crazy for me because my first daughter was born in November, Mm -hmm. right? And so I had all my vacation crew. And my second daughter was born in January. And I remember having the conversation about my second daughter going, am I really hoping I go early in December to have more? You know what I mean? In your head, you're having these like bizarre negotiations. (laughs) It's like, huh, well, maybe I could be induced. I mean, it's like crazy. It's crazy that was going through your head because you just want a lot. You want the most time home with your family. Um, And not everyone, you know, myself included, can just can take more time unpaid. And so that becomes a a bit of that negotiation. But yeah. (laughs) Um, Recently, you did your first panel oh, yeah. as a new MD. <laughs> I, did. I did. And I wonder if just fresh off of that experience, if there's anything that you learned from it about, you know, what your expectations were of kind of being in that seat with, you know, yeah. cameras rolling and the press yeah. and whatever, um, versus, um, you know, the way it played out. Yeah. Um, well, you, as you know, helped me prep for that. So thank you. Um, you're someone I call on for advice many times. Um, but I think, you know, your advice to me had been, uh, don't just get up there and have a chit chat with three other women. Um, try to deliver things that people would find of value and that people can take away and apply to their own lives. And so I worked really hard on that. Um, and then when I got up there, um, I found myself, and you and I were just talking about this, I found myself kind of a little more formal than I would have liked. And what was great is the night before the panel, the client that had pulled us together, there was an AT&T client and uh, three other women, myself included. Um, And we had drinks together the night before and we kind of got to know each other a bit, which was really great. And we all got along really well. And so when the morning came, we were going up there and we started talking. I think I had the first question I answered and I kind of answered it and I prepared for it. But then as everyone started talking, you start to realize, there's a way to deliver information that people will care about that feels useful, that isn't formal. And actually the rapport between the four of us and the way we answer the questions and the vulnerability of kind of sharing some anecdotes versus just, I believe that blah, blah. It's like, no, actually here's something that happened to me and here's how I experienced it firsthand starts to really contextualize it for people. Mm -hmm. And it can be a lot more impactful than Mm -hmm. kind of sitting kind of way up here um, at 30,000 feet. So that's what I found. And there was a woman on the panel that was um, extremely good at that, that I, um, I took some cues from. Yeah. Great. Um, Well, speaking of um, delivering value, (laughs) thank you so much for sitting and doing this. And one of the things that always amazes me personally about 
doing these chats is that even people who I know really well, I always learn <laughs> a lot. like a whole story, yeah. I, well, I always learn a lot just from having a conversation that's not the typical chit chat or about. the way we're talking about a specific problem we're trying yeah. to solve. And I learned, um, you know, about the way your brain works and, and some of the things I took away, like your first job doesn't have to be your forever job and uh, what ambidextrous thinking is and how to create safety in a team are all things that I'm personally going to take away from this. So thank you. Great. Thank um, you. Thank you for having me. For all this.